be with us. Uh, this is a connection card in the seat back pocket in front of you. If you'll fill it out, uh, we'd love to get to know you, connect with you, pray with you about any prayer requests you might have, or um, just get you connected. Uh, we promise we will not, this is the oldest joke in the book for church, but we won't send you any junk mail. We promise. We just want to be able to connect with you and love on you. And um, so if you'll spill it out and you'll put it in the offering when it passes by, we can connect with you better. Let's take a minute to welcome our guests this morning and also welcome our online guests as Hannah did, Pastor Hannah did before. Well, I just have a couple quick things to talk about. We didn't mention on TCN that we're going to be having a garage sale this Saturday from 6.30 to noon. And that's here at the church. We're going to be get, getting rid of anything that we may have used in the past that we don't need anymore. Uh, just to make room for what God wants to do with some of the facility over there. And so we could use help. We could use help on Friday. We're ready for that big day. And you know that garage sale hunters are serious. And so they show up. If this says like 6.30 at 5.30, they're going to be there with their flashlights trying to haggle and bargain with you. And so I would like to not be the only one here at 6.30 a.m. So if you want to give them your time, we'd love it if you only have it. Actually, I wanted to say this one last thing. The proceeds go to our youth. We're trying to help our youth facilities. We're trying to get them everything we need so we can reach our young people. So even better to wake your kid up unannounced put them in the car, and then drive by the church and roll them out. They won't know, but it's okay. They'll be half asleep. I got it from there. If you'll just drop them off, I can use them. So anyways, um, and then there's one other thing that's actually a little more serious. Um, the Holy Spirit has really been taking me on a journey here lately. Um, I don't know if you know this, but our kids are all different. They all require different things. They, uh, Every kid, if you're a parent, you know that one kid is completely different from the other sibling. If you, you know, especially if you've got boys and girls, but even still, in everything, their needs for learning, their needs for just having a healthy life, every kid's different. And there has been, um, we have several kids that need some special attention to learn, uh, learn what God has for them to facilitate their needs. And um, as a pastor, I've never, I'm sad to say that I have never really pursued what to do with children of special needs. And uh, it seems like in the last two months, the Lord has just been laying before me breadcrumbs. And I have been just picking them up and going, what's this? What's this? It's information. And I'm like, I don't know why you're giving me this information, God, but I'm just going to keep pursuing how to help our babies here in our house. And as I was doing this, I began to say to people out loud, well, I'm getting ready to figure out what to do to help special needs in our church. It could be anything from just barely on the spectrum of autism all the way to maybe even epilepsy. I said, and as I did, I love church people. They, they didn't speak hope into my life. They were like, you know that's a beast, right, Pastor Lindsay? You know that's an elephant. You're about to eat an elephant. And I was like, I know. Don't scare me. But I just refused to be intimidated. I just refused to be intimidated. You know why? Because who are we if we can't take care of the kids that God has given us in this house? Who are we if we can't do that to the best of our ability? So I've been picking up the bed breadcrumbs and eating the elephant one bite at a time, right? And it just so happens that the Champions Club, which is the largest um, facility for special needs, it's in Lake, at Lakewood Church. Pastor Joel Osteen has really championed that. It's called Champions Club. And theirs is 
premier facility. I got to tour it. And you know when you go, Pastor, to the, these premier facilities, you're like, oh, I can't even afford the mat on the ground. You know, I was like, I just got so discouraged when I left. But the lady that was overseeing it, her name is Norma, she says, no, no, you can do this, Pastor. You can do it. I'm going to get you Dr. Sandra Robinson. Dr. Sandra Robinson oversees nationally all of Champions Club. Dr. Sandra, I call her and I say, I need your help. I don't know where to begin. I'm the most, I lack the most information. I have the least amount of information and I have the least amount of funds, but this is what I want to do. And she went, did you know I just moved from California to Richmond? I went, no, you didn't. The Lord did that just for me. (laughs) And so so we are meeting April the 1st to really try to just get a plan to facilitate because there are so many families that do not attend church because they do not know how the church is going to receive their child, if there's the facilities for their child, if they love their child. Sometimes people just want to know you care. You care enough to do something. Not I, It could just be a small thing. They just want to know you care. And so April 1st, we are going to be meeting and getting a plan. And what I need from y'all, first of all, is prayer. I would love more than anything in the whole world to not be intimidated and for God to provide in such a way that we have one of the strongest special needs facility in this area. And I kept saying it to my friends, like over children's ministry, um, Quentin and Kira, I said, I want to champion this. I want this to be my baby. And I said, but I just feel so overwhelmed. And they were like, do it. You be the champion for it. So what I need from you is I need some volunteers. I need about four volunteers that love kids and that want to help me facilitate this. Dr. Sandra is going to meet with us, create a plan for every single child in our church and ongoing, and also help to provide the knowledge and how we help these kids. And so if you want to participate, if you love kids, I just need you to love kids. Please don't come to me if you can't handle messy. Okay, don't, don't, please don't come to me. If you can handle messy and you love kids, email me or even come see me right after service. Come find me and I'll get your number. Uh, don't you think God will bless this? I just believe he's going to bless it. Let me take up our offering really fast. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Do y'all have that scripture for me? Faith, Abel, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, his gifts, he being dead still speaks. Did you know that your offering, that your tithe, can speak even when you're gone? Did you know that what you sow into, once you are far gone, will still testify to who you are, your character, and your heritage? Did you know that? And here's the best part. I, I looked up speaks in, uh, in the, in, in the um, lexicon today, and speaks actually means to preach. It actually ministers past. When you are gone, it is still ministering to people that your gifts, what, what we create as a body of Christ with your gifts, is going to minister well after you are gone. It, who knows? It can minister to your own family, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, or people you don't even know. Amen? So why don't we do this? Why don't we pray over our offering? And then uh, Pastor Hannah is going to sing a wonderful song. It's an encore because we liked it so much last Sunday. Father, I just, we love you. 
We thank you that you are so good to us. You've been so faithful, and everything that is ours belongs to you anyways. So we ask that you would take this gift and that you would cause it to speak for us. Speak like you did with Abel. Let it speak to our faithfulness and how faithful you have been to us, Father. I ask that you would multiply it in the hands of the giver. I thank you for blessing that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over in every single household of the giver. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And why don't y'all welcome Pastor Hannah. So we liked this song so much last week. We're going to do it again because it was so encouraging to so many people. So let's say today again, let the devil know, not today. Amen.
day. This is our day. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Wow, it's delightful to be with you today. Wonderful to be back at Triumph Church, Sugarland, and Stafford. To see all your smiling faces puts great joy in my heart. I love you all very much, and I miss you terribly. Um, You know, Renee and I are doing well. Thank you for releasing us. We've stepped into our new assignment with grace and faith, and I believe you're blessing, and I thank you for that. Uh, We're doing well. The churches are doing well. I've had a good year in my health, which I'm very thankful for. Thank God for that. And Renee as well, and uh, so thank God for that. You know, a big concern has been mine and Renee's mothers, uh, our mothers. And uh, they're doing well, and we're spoiling them like they spoiled us a long time ago. And they love it, and uh, we do too. So all is well. Thank you so very much for receiving Pastors Randon and Lindsay. And uh, already God is blessing this church and you. When you have to make difficult decisions as a leader, you need God to vindicate you. You need God to uh, prove it out and make it real, make it plain that, that you've done the right thing, that you heard His voice and you're in God's will. And I can already see that God is beginning to do things to confirm that the transition we've been through uh, was indeed His will and His blessings are upon it. And I thank you for trusting us. I realize it takes a lot of trust. And uh, believing in us, I want to thank you for that. God bless you so very, very much. I know that great and wonderful things are in store for you here. And to be here today is a a really great joy, just to see you again and worship with you. Um, And also now to share the Scripture is the joy of my life. Uh, Congratulations to Sam and Hannah. We have a new granddaughter on the way. I've offered a $5,000 bonus if they'll name it after me. So so they have proposed several names that are not so good, and um, I'm, but I really think it would be darling to have a little girl named Randy Rohani. What do you think? You know, and spell it with an I at the end, so I don't know. I may have to up it a little more than five. That may not quite get it done, but um, anyway, whatever they name her, I'll sure love her and we'll spoil her good and looking forward to that. That'll make number seven for Renee and I, so uh, that's the good stuff right there. I guarantee you that. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Today, I want to teach to you from the Bible and focus on... A sacred trust. A sacred trust. And I want to focus on the word entrust, and I'll show that to you in your Bible in just a moment. Entrust. Um, And talk to you about how that God has given us things and entrusted us with things. He didn't give us ownership, but He gave us responsibility. We are stewards or managers, but we're not owners. And He entrusted things with us that you and I are to guard and to keep. And so I want to talk to you about sacred trust 
in all of our lives. Are you ready? I better pray just a minute. Holy Spirit, I feel your nearness right now. I welcome you to this house and this place and this moment in our service. Let your hand be extended and touch our hearts. Do whatever you will, for we are yours and this service is yours. I know, Lord, that we look on the outside, but you look on hearts. And you're seeing every heart as it is. Sensitive to every pain and every discouragement, every fear, every regret. I pray, Lord Jesus, that your goodness and your grace would be a buoyant force for each of us. Raise those up that are in sore despair today. Lift them up on eagles' wings and give them the grace to soar above whatever they're going through, that they would not just go through it, but they would go over it and beyond it and live above it. I thank you for that. Now, we'll just stay arrested in the Spirit just for for a moment. Thank you, Father. We love you and worship you. Just go ahead and begin to breathe praise out to Him. Just kind of let your heart begin to express itself right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Father. We praise your name, Lord Jesus. We glorify you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Open our spiritual ears, Lord, that we can hear. May the people hear words that don't even come out of my mouth, messages that are not in my notes, but let the Holy Spirit configure the words to tailor it to individuals here today. May the power and the grace of the Almighty God be upon each and every one from the front to the back, and may His glory abide over us and over each of our houses. In Jesus' name, everyone say amen. Amen. Okay, uh, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. A short portion of verse that I want to read to you. Timothy. Now remember, Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul is the uh, apostolic father. Tim is the son. Timothy is the pastor of the largest church in the New Testament, which would have been the church of Ephesus. And he's writing him a letter of instruction. He said, guard what God has entrusted to you. So two words here that I hope to amplify. Guard and entrust. Guard those things that have been entrusted to you. That's the essence of the teaching today. Now I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I want to read verse 17. Now remember, Paul is a senior apostle. This is toward the end of his ministry and his life. At this point, he has suffered dreadfully from, for having been a minister of the gospel. 
His body has been beaten. It is permanently scarred and bent. He has suffered rejection. He survived shipwreck. At times, he almost starved to death. And at other times, he was greatly betrayed by people that he loved. He endured just about every kind of pain that you could endure for the sake of doing the will of God in his life. And he's talking about his ministry, his life, what he does, what he's given his life to. And he says, if I were doing this on my own initiative, I would deserve payment. But I have no choice, for God has given me this sacred trust. So he said, if I was doing it by my own initiative, what I wanted to do, maybe the life he would have lived, maybe the course he would have chosen, he said, I might deserve some kind of payment, but he said, I'm not doing this by choice. It doesn't mean that he wasn't willingly serving God. It just means that this wasn't necessarily the life he had chosen to live. He was doing it willingly because God had given him a sacred trust. Someone might have said to the Apostle Paul, at the early points of his ministry, you're young, you're highly educated, you're one of the most brilliant men of our day, why don't you get married, get a good job, have a nice home, live a good life? But none of those things would happen. Paul, at about the age I am now, was beheaded for the gospel. And he said, I don't have a choice. I have been given a sacred trust. And Saul, Paul saw the value of this sacred trust as being infinitely more valuable than the another life that he could have chosen to live, other choices that he could have made in life. He saw it of eternal value. He said, you know, I could have done things of my own choice and my own initiative, and I would have deserved some kind of compensation. But he said, I'm not going to be compensated for this because it is a sacred trust. So let's look at a couple of words here. First of all, we'll look at the word sacred since it's first. Sacred refers to something that is holy, something which came from God and belongs to God. Sacred is something that deserves the same honor and respect given to God. So sacred means something that belongs to God, came from God, and deserves the same honor and respect as God. You know, you might have heard me use this illustration before. I, I, think, it's, I think it says something very clearly, so I'll, I'll try again. You know, in, we have several government entities operating right here in this city. We have a city government. Then we have a county government. But then there's a federal government operating here. And the federal government has buildings and employees and entities functioning in this city and in this region that belong to the federal government. Some of you may be federal government employees. You work for the federal government. When you commit some kind of crime or valid uh, um, crime or uh, uh, some kind of trespass 
on a federal piece of property, then you come under federal law and federal cons, uh, um, conviction because you're on federal property. So right here in this nation, there are, there's property loans to individuals, property owned by the county, property owned by the city, and then there's property owned by the United States government. That which is holy, that which is sacred in our lives, looks like life. It looks like the landscape. It looks like just part of life. But when something is sacred, it's different. It belongs to God. It's something that is on a different scale and answers to a higher authority. It is holy. It is sacred. When you go to the United States Post Office, remember that property is federal property. Those are federal employees, and if you violate a law, you're going to be persecuted by the federal government because that building belongs to the United States of America. And so there has to be things in our life that we realize are sacred. They belong to God. They are holy, and they are God's, and we must respect them because of that. Look at the word trust. A trust is an assignment of responsibility. A trust is when you put something into someone's care or their protection. You do not give them ownership, but you do give them great responsibility. And so you assign responsibility, and you assign to them an equal measure of authority. Because you cannot manage your responsibility if you don't have an equal measure of, of authority. So when you are employing someone or you're building a team in your company, you have to give people specific responsibilities, and then you have to match it with authority. So a trust is something you give to someone else, and you give them responsibility and an adequate measure of responsibility to take care of what you have entrusted to them. So a trust is something committed or entrusted to one to be used or cared for for the interest of another. Uh, that's what a trust is. Now, some of you may have what's called a living trust. A living trust is when you legally authorize another person to manage your assets and affairs if you were, for some reason, no longer able to do so or upon your death. And so you create a trust, a living trust, and you assign someone the responsibility to manage your assets and your affairs in your behalf for your good according to what you designate. You can decide, I, I would like for this to happen, that not to happen. I would like for this person to get this and for this to be done this with, and, and that's what a living trust is. You are getting it done through another person, and you're entrusting them with the responsibility and the power and authority to get it done in your behalf to your good and according to your way. That's what a living trust is. And so when God entrusts us with things, He is giving us responsibility for something we do not own. And He's giving us the authority to manage it well in His behalf and in His favor according to the way that He designs for us to operate. If you look at your life and certain aspects of it through this lens, uh, you're going to be a lot more likely to do God's will and to preserve things of great value and things eternal. God has entrusted us with certain things. Um, the Bible word is steward. 
Uh, your, your older English Bibles use the word steward. A steward was an individual that did not have ownership, but they had responsibility and authority of management. So it would either be the word stewardship or management uh, that would translate to our world today. But whatever, it's an entrust. It's something that you've been entrusted with. Okay, you with me all right? Have I got your attention now? All right, so we're talking about sacred trust. So it's important to recognize, as Paul did, what are the sacred trusts in our lives? What are the sacred trusts in our lives? So I, I did a little word study, and I came up with several passages in the New Testament that specifically uh, identifies uh, Paul and the apostles, what they considered to be sacred trust. And I'm not going through all of those, but I, I want to stay with that which I feel like will bless your heart most today. First of all, Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you have learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and the love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that he has entrusted to you. So Paul goes on to say to Timothy, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. What truth is Paul talking about? He is talking about what is referred to as the gospel, the story of Christ and His salvation. The truth, it's talking about what we would refer to as the Bible. It's talking about the revelation of who Christ is. That He isn't just a good man that lived a long time ago. He isn't just a prophet that spoke good things or a teacher or a revolutionary, but he was literally God robed in flesh, come from heaven to live as a man. That is a revelation. That is a truth, a precious truth. And it's only even more true when you realize that of the 7 billion people on this planet, there is a minority of us that really understand that simple and profound truth. And it is the knowledge of that truth that separates us. Only by God's grace am I saved. Only by God's grace are you saved. We could have been born some other place, some other time, and never heard the name of Jesus, or been born into a cultural environment that imposed upon us a false religion that did not include the truth about who Jesus Christ was. And I could be ensconced in that religion and believe that and be in that mindset and be away from God and on my way to an eternity without God. Oh, but for His goodness and grace, He entrusted me with the truth of who Christ really is. So sometimes here in, in America, we take for granted the, 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 the precious truth that we have been entrusted with. Maybe that's why we have forfeited so much of it, and we have blended paganism and godless ideas and concepts into the American culture, because we have not valued the truth. Maybe we have gotten confused with all the various church Christian denominations and doctrines and ideas and interpretations of the Scripture and presentations of Christianity. So let me just say this. Fundamental Christianity is a precious truth. Can we just go right there and say, you know what? Fundamental Christianity is a precious truth. 
You may be of this camp or that camp or this denomination or that denomination, but the fundamental Christianity is a precious truth that means our salvation, that means everything we hold dear. It is an God has entrusted it with us, and we must hold to it with all of our heart. Modern America is infusing fundamental Christianity with narcissistic concepts, modern philosophies, absolute lies, godless philosophies that have nothing to do with the truth. The fundamental Christianity, as I want to refer to it today as, is simply, it's, it's an entrustment. It's an entrustment in us. We, we have a responsibility to hold it dear. Paul said, guard it very carefully. Hold on to it. Don't get confused. Make sure your kids understand it because they're not getting this at school by and large. They're not getting this on the Internet for sure. They're not getting this uh, wherever their friends are. The whole society is moving away from fundamental Christianity. And it's this other blend of many other religions like all religions are good. And that is the biggest lie that was ever hatched out of hell. All religions are not good. The difficult thing about this day and time is to respect other people that are not Christians. Honor them as human beings. And at the same time, not capitulate our faith. Here's the tough part about Christianity. We are by nature exclusive. There is nothing inclusive about Christianity. Nothing inclusive about it. You're either born again, you're either a child of God, or you're not. That's it. There's nothing inclusive about it. Modern America rejects that because we want everybody to be saved, and we want everybody to be right, and we want everybody to do whatever they want to do, and we don't want a creator that holds us accountable to his word and his truth. We don't want that. America wants it all mixed up, and you choose what's right, and you go this way, and you go that way, but nothing of that is consistent with fundamental Christianity. Nothing of that is consistent with the Bible. So today I took some precious time to talk to you about a sacred truth that is in severe jeopardy in this day and time, and that is the basic truths, the found, fundamental truths of Christianity. God said, it, Paul said, it is a sacred trust, Timothy. Guard it with everything you've got. Hold on to it, and don't let it be diluted or polluted or stolen. Hold on to it. It's a sacred truth. Well, let me move on a little further. There are a lot of sacred truths in our lives. I want to mention just a couple of more. Um, Paul saw his whole life, the life he was living, the destiny he was fulfilling, his mission. He saw it as a sacred trust. I read that to you. He said, I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm not picking. I didn't pick this life. This is not what I grew up as a boy dreaming about doing, but it's a sacred trust that God has given me. Your life is a sacred trust. The walk you are taking, the journey you're on for God, the life you're living, what your career is, what your family is, the whole life you're living now is a sacred trust. It's important to God. Now, I know that I'm going I'm I'm to veer away from modern thinking again. But, but we raise our kids on this kind of philosophy. You can be anything you want to be. 
You can do anything you want to do. Well, that's good to inspire them and hope, inspire their dreams and, and make them believe in themselves. I know what we're doing. We teach our kids that. But somewhere along the way, you've got to look at your kids and say, Son, you can't do anything you want to do. You have to find out what God's will is in your life, and that's what you really have to do. It's a sacred trust. We don't just get to flip through a, a university a book of courses and, 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 and majors and pick one out that we think we would enjoy and have a happy life in. You've got you to find on your knees, God, what is your will for my life? What do you want me to be? Where do you want me to live? What kind of life do you want? And I say to you again that when we got saved, we gave our life to Christ. We didn't die. We gave our life, the one we're living right now. We don't have a choice. We gave our choice to him and said, Father, you pick my life. That's the essence of salvation. And so I believe that our lives, each and every one, regardless of where you're walking and what you're calling and what your, your road is, your career, your life is a sacred trust. It's not your own, but you're responsible for it. It's God's. You gave it to Him. It belongs to Him, but you're responsible for it. You have to make the right decisions. You've got to do the right things with it. You can mess it all up, or you can treat your life like a sacred trust. My marriage is a sacred trust. My kids are sacred trust. My family unit is a sacred trust. I don't own it. It's not mine. It's God's. Renee belongs to God. Our marriage together belongs to God. My three children, my seven grandchildren, they are God's. They're not mine. He, he entrusted me with them. I get to enjoy them. I have the pleasure of them. But it's God's, and it's sacred. Everybody say sacred. sacred. Old-fashioned word. Just an old-fashioned word, sacred. Who in America uses the word sacred anymore? There is nothing sacred in America unless you read the Bible, believe it, and live it. My marriage is sacred. I have the responsibility to manage it and guide it and make it as healthy, as strong as I can. My wife does not belong to me. She belongs to God. My children do not belong to me. They belong to God. My grandchildren are given for our pleasure and our joy. We have huge responsibility, but they belong to God. They're sacred trust. And when someone gives you something, it puts you in a different frame of mind. You know, if it's mine, in my mindset, if it's mine... I just can do with it whatever I want because it's mine. But if you give me something and you say, keep this for me, take care of this for me, all of a sudden my mind changes like, oh, yeah, let's see, man. I've got to put that someplace. I've got to watch over it. I've got to guard it. I've got to make sure nothing happens to it and because they're going to come back and want that back, and I want to make sure it's in good shape and I can find it. Right? So do, do you see the difference when something's yours? You can be kind of careless because it's yours. But when somebody gives you something that's theirs and they ask you to keep it, it's a whole different deal. So when I start looking 
at my marriage, my family, my kids, and my grandkids, when I start looking at the things God has given me a life as a trust, something He's entrusted me with, then automatically it's a different, it's a different mindset. It's like take care of it, guard it, do the right thing, because one day the owner is coming back. The owner is coming back. Because of this, I hate to borrow anything. I'm really reluctant to borrow anything. If I borrow somebody's lawnmower or their automobile, I'm a nervous wreck because I'm so afraid that something's going to happen to it and I've got to go back. And, you know, I, I don't like to borrow anything. I only do that when I have to because borrowing makes me very nervous because it's someone else's and I'm afraid something's going to happen to it. It's still, again, the concept of being entrusted with something that doesn't belong to you. You just take better care of it. Can you say amen? amen. I want to mention destiny relationships. Um, we have lots of acquaintances. We have friends. We have family members. We have work associates, all that. Life's full of wonderful people in different levels of relationship. But there are some people in my life that are destiny relations. Some people are not just someone that I cross paths with, someone that I bumped into on the road of life. There are some people that aren't just something that happened along the way, but they're people that God brought into my life that have a significant input into my life, that have a significant and positive effect on my life, and somehow my destiny is tied to their destiny, and if we walk together, we'll both get there. I hope that you have identified destiny relationships in your life. Those people that you recognize God has brought into your life and they play an important role in you living the life you want to live and God has given you to live. Destiny relationships. So just stop for a minute and think about who are the destiny relationships in your life. I sincerely believe that the, each of those relationships are sacred trust. So Renee and I have nearly every friend we ever made. We still have those friends today. Unfortunately, there are a few exceptions. And so I, I think about one that pops in my mind now. Several years ago, it's been, uh, well, it's been about 20 years ago. We had a destiny relationship, very close friends people we loved and cherished, had so much fun, worked to God, with God, for God together, had some of the greatest experiences in God of our lifetime. And somebody else did something that was incorrect, and as a result, it interfered with our destiny relationship. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we grew apart over time, still love and respect each other, but our li we're not doing life together anymore. And yet, Alvaro... I know for sure those people were destiny relationship with my life. And I look back and I think, man, we let that one incident that we didn't even do, somebody else did, really foul up a destiny relationship. I should have guarded that relationship more carefully. I should have known that that little problem we had was going to go away and was going to be forgotten in a few years, but the relationship was going to be damaged forever. So I look back and I say, man... I should have guarded that sacred trust. That destined relationship was far more important than that temporary problem that erupted. That's 
So when you identify your sacred, your, your destiny relationships and you realize they're sacred trust and they're vital to your future, you put a check mark by those and you say, you know what, we may fall out with anybody. You know, relationships may come and go and lives may part. But those destiny relationships, I believe they're sacred trust. And we have to approach those very, very different. Can you say amen? So God entrusts us. And um, I think I have a slide here for you. God entrusts us because He trusts us. That's hard to say. God entrusts us because He trusts us. I'm not sure that's grammatic, grammatically correct. I, I've been trying to say that all night. I can't quite get it out. Can anybody say it for me? Read it for me. Ready? God entrusts us because He trusts us. Now, you know, I watch this over and over again, especially young families. They have their first baby. And how hard it is to hand that baby to someone to babysit that brand new baby. It's like... You know, I remember when uh, Kennedy was born, um, Lindsay had me take care of Kennedy while they went somewhere. She called me about three or four times, tell me everything to do, how to, how to change a diaper, exactly what to use, and she called me over and over again. But she was a young mother, and she just wasn't going to just entrust anybody, even me, with that little baby girl. Um, you don't entrust people that you don't trust. You just don't. And the more precious it is, the more careful you are who you give it to. We don't just give our kids to anybody. We give our children to someone we trust because they, they are our responsibility. We love them, and we want to make sure anybody we entrust with their care for even an hour or so that they are trustworthy. God only entrusts people that He trusts. So my goal in life is to be trustworthy. The idea that maybe if I live my life the best I'm able, maybe God will trust me. Maybe if he sees something in me he can rely on and be comfortable in, he will entrust me with something of great value. Maybe if there's a job he wants done that's important to him, maybe he'll think of me. But he has to trust me. You know, if you've ever breached a trust with someone you love, a friend, or someone important in your life, it's a painful thing to know you have breached someone's trust. And it's a process to rebuild that trust. Thankfully, trust is rebuilt, but it does take time. I want to live a life where people can trust me and God can trust me. Now, that doesn't mean I have to be perfect or never make a mistake. You trust people that make mistakes. You trust people that haven't done everything right. So you don't have to be perfect. But you trust people, though imperfect, you can still trust them. So I'm not attempting to be perfect, whatever in the world that is. I'm just telling you, I want to be trustworthy so God will entrust me with good things in life. How many of you want to be trustworthy? Well, 
Let's go to the, the Bible again. Luke chapter 16, verse 10 through 12. Watch closely. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. If you are dishonest in little things, you will be honest in greater responsibility. If you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? Can you say amen? <clears throat> Notice that word, trusted. Why should you be trusted with things of your own? Everybody say trusted. There's a, several things compared here in this verse. I'm going to give you a quick list. Faithful versus unfaithful. Honest versus dishonest. Trustworthy versus untrustworthy. Little things versus big things. Things that belong to others and things that belong to you. Earthly things versus true riches. And that's what is compared in this verse. Faithful versus unfaithful, honest versus dishonest, trustworthy versus untrustworthy, little things versus big things, things that belong to us and things belong to others, earthly things versus true riches, eternal things, and sacred things. And that's what uh, Jesus was talking about here. And he said, if you're faithful over little things, um, you'll be ruler over much. So I'm going to do a little demonstration here. And uh, try to bring my point home. How much time do I have? Whoa, wait a minute. I'm running out of time here. I'm going to have to do this fast, okay? I'm going to give Tom a dollar bill. Because Tom, I'm, I'm going to loan it. I'm going to ask you to hold it for me. I'm entrusting you with this, all right? And I'm going to give this Tom a dollar bill because um, he, he's a very blessed man. He's so blessed that when he's walking down the sidewalk, if there's a dollar laying on the sidewalk, that dollar jumps up in his pocket. He's a blessed man. Now, uh, to a man like Tom, a dollar is not much money. But he ha I've entrusted him with it. Does the amount of money I've given him make any difference? No. Does it amount the fact that I've given him a trust, does it make any difference how much I gave him? I want you to take out your, your purse, your wallet there, and I want you to put that $5 with your money, wherever you keep your money. And if you don't have any cash, just put it with your plastic. That'll work. All right? So, now she put my $5 in her wallet with her money. Does that make it her money? If you need that $5 for yourself, you can use it. You have authority over it if you need it. But if you use it, remember, you're using my money. Okay? It's okay. I love you. No big deal. But it's my money. And I'm entrusting you with it. And if you need it, you can use it. It's right there with your money. So, okay. $10. $50. Whoa. How much is this? $100. I'm entrusting you with this money. I'm entrusting you with it. And I'm, all I'm asking you to do is to take care of it. And remember that you don't own it. Put it with your money. Go ahead and put it in your purse. It's okay. Put it in your purse. Just blend it right in there. Um, so just because it's in my bank account or sitting in my wallet 
doesn't necessarily change ownership. Tom, you can take that $1 and put it in your bank account. Tom and Linda Ferguson. Is it going to make it yours because you put it in your bank account? You can spend it. You can leave it there, whatever you want to do. But ownership doesn't change because it goes into his bank account. And the fact that I didn't give him much money doesn't mean he doesn't, have, doesn't change the ownership either. And because I gave someone else great money, $100, doesn't mean that she's under greater restrictions. But automatically, the more you're given, the more concern you have. Right? And so God entrusts us with sacred trust. And uh, there's nothing more exemplary of a sacred trust than our money. God gives us money as a sacred trust. And He allows us to use it. He holds us responsible for it. But He wants us to remember who owns it. We get caught up in the, it's my money. It's my money trap. I work for it. It is my money. It's a trap. It's a mindset. We need to understand that God has blessed us all, especially here in this part of the world, and we have huge sacred trust. He's blessed us to live at a very high level, a high level of comfort and peace, an opportunity. He's invested in us, entrusted in us these things. And we cannot take it for granted. If we just decide that my money is my money, and I don't have to answer to God for it, then we're no better than the unbelievers of this world. But one of the things that distinguishes us is that we know who our Creator is. We know who we answer to. We know the source of our blessings. And every good thing I have in life came from God. All good things come from above. It's a different mindset. It's a different... Well, I worked for it. I worked hard. I gave my time and my energy. Just remember this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This is His planet. We're drinking His water. We're breathing His air. And we're eating food that was grown out of His earth. This is His earth. And so we have to realize we are stewards. We're not owners. We are stewards of the earth. We have responsibility, but it is not ours. If a man owns a field and it grows corn or wheat or rice, who owns the rice? The man that planted it and the man that reaped it or the man that owned the ground? The man that owned the ground. The man that did the work has some reward for his labor, but he never owned it because whoever owns the ground owns the harvest. So you and I, we don't own the earth, therefore we don't own the harvest. We're just stewards. God has entrusted us with these things. Can you, can you look at it through these eyes? This is totally biblical and absolutely contrary to the American mindset. So it's a matter of ownership that we must remember. Know that money is a magnifier. Sometimes we look at people that are very rich and do big, big things and we, we think they're extravagant and that they waste money and they spend stupid amounts on meaningless things. And you look at people that are spending enormous amounts of money on certain things and, and you just think, boy, they're idiots. They're idiots. 
Well, it seems to me like money's just a magnifier. A guy with not much money has all the same propensity, all the same sinful nature, all the same habits of somebody with a lot of money. It's just money magnifies that. And if you know, if you're a giver when you don't make much, you'll be a big giver when you make a lot. And if you're tight when you don't have money and you're stingy when you don't have money, when you get a lot of money, you'll be just as tight and just as stingy. Because all money does, the more zeros just blows it up. But it's the same mindset, it's the same heart, it's the same mentality. It just gets bigger the more money you get. Can you say amen? Money is a magnifier. Jesus said, if you be faithful over little things, I'll make you ruler over more things. Money is a proving ground for character, maturity, and stewardship. Money is a divine test. I believe that God gives us assets to, see, to test our stewardship, our character, our faithfulness, and see if we will get confused about who really owns it. If we will look at it like a sacred trust. Your business is a sacred trust. Well, me and my wife, we built this business. It wasn't anything we started, and we worked hard, and we're still working hard. It's still a sacred trust. It belongs to God. And when you give your business to God, everything changes in your perspective. So money is a divine test. Assets are a divine test. And uh, He only gives people things that people that gives to people He trusts. If He doesn't trust you, He might not give it to you. And so um, just want to talk to you a little bit about money because I think it's one of the most important sacred trusts that we have and I think it, 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 it reflects our character, our, our whole faith in life, our whole perspective. Money has a way of revealing those things to us, all right? And so remember that what you have is a sacred trust. It belongs to God and He's given you the privilege to enjoy it and use it but make sure that whatever you do with it uh, you never forget who really owns it in the first place. Can I get a great big amen? amen? Now, as I have taught this morning, you've probably thought about sacred trust in your life. And um, I want to go back to what I said initially. Guard sacred trust. Guard it. The devil, the Bible says, is like a roaring lion who is going around trying to destroy sacred trust in our lives, trying to interfere with that which God has blessed us with, try to damage and destroy the things that God wants us to enjoy in life. They're sacred trust, and Paul said, guard them. We can live a life ignorant of any sacred trust. But remember, the devil knows what is a sacred trust in our life. He knows what it is, and he's after that. And Paul said to young Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. You can close your Bibles now. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I receive it and apply it to my life. I thank you that you've given me a clear mind to understand it and a heart to receive it. I apply this word to my life, and I thank you, Father, for the sacred trust that you have given me. I will guard them and protect them. I will be responsible for them. And I will do my best to be worthy of the trust you have placed in me. Ask our prayer partners to come forward now. And if you need prayer ministry for anything, we want to pray for you. It could be something regarding your health. 
could be something regarding your finances or your career, your business. It could be the biggest opportunity of your lifetime or maybe the greatest crisis you've ever faced. Something with your children or grandchildren. Something about a friend that is heavy on your heart today. A situation that you want God's help in. We want to pray with you. Our God is a right now God. And He is very much on hand. And if you need prayer for any area of your life, we want to give you the opportunity to come forward. Please stand. And if you need prayer ministry, come down and pick any of these men or women before you. Tell them just an idea what you want to pray for, and they'll do so. Let's stand. And if you need prayer ministry, please come forward right now. Sing it one time. Because you are good. You're good. Oh,